0: Might be interesting to start this podcast with a few of our recent ads. Mm-hmm. Austin Gomber, like Gomber. I don't know. Mike Miner, like that one. Adam Fraser, like that one. And Matt Boyd, love that one. I <laughs> I like all four
1: of these names. All four of these names are worth a look in any moderate deep league. I would say. Yes, exactly. I wouldn't look at yeah, I wouldn't look I- at them in like the ESPN standard game. I don't think any of them are. Maybe
0: Matt Boyd, especially if you're looking for strikeouts. I I disagree. I really? think that in the I think in a standard, well, what, in a 10-team mixed yeah. league with shallow benches, I think these guys might play. You'd have to drop someone. That's the thing. If you're in the playoffs and you have to and you have to drop an injury player, do it. If you are frustrated at a superstar who's just not performing. And you're in the playoffs? I do. You it can too. do it. I think and the interesting thing about this is
1: that these guys are gonna be dirt cheap because they're they're just not <laughs> just not wanted that much. I mean Austin Gomber, like when did you start looking at him? He only came onto my radar last like last Wednesday.
0: Exactly. No, it was very funny because I started doing the like ownership analysis. I started looking at um, I did some of the last year clustering mm-hmm. stuff, and I was like, "Who the heck is this?" And then I was like, "Okay, well, he's a TGFBI ad." I was yeah. doing this for TGFBI, and then I was like, "Well, I wonder if I could add him in our league." Nope, <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah, already I already him. had him. He's yeah. like, "Okay, perfect, a perfect
1: coinciding." Yeah, you want to talk about any of these other guys in full? I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big Matt Boyd guy, especially if you're hunting for K's. I mean, Matt Boyd is a key streaming guy. Kapitra. And met, and Mike Minor and Adam Frazier, I like those two guys and they've been they've been floating around for a while.
0: They have been floating around for a while. Mike Minor, this is where this is a part of the fantasy year that gets really interesting. It has been for like the last month, where you have the recent success is hidden in just a pile of early season crap. <laughs>
1: No, this is. You know? I mean, this is where our canonical wisdom of look at the last twenty-eight or twenty-one or twenty-eight days in stats is valuable, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's use 21, 21 days to try to hone in on the players that are trending in the right direction. Yep. We have two quotes that came here independently from um, five thirty-eight sources. Yeah. Uh, you have a Nate Silver. Twitter post what you want to read about I feel out. like we might follow them a
1: little too closely. So, this is Nate Silver, they're talking about their their house model which is really interesting. The question of how much to smooth the data is an empirical one. You want to minimize autocorrelation and or maximize out of sample prediction, not an aesthetic one. And the correct answer differs a lot based on what type of election you're looking at. Putting aside all the election things, that's this, this is a lot of information packed
0: into 280 characters. It really is. It, it reminds you just how um, it's not even smart. It's just how versed he is in modeling, in data science. It's true. I mean, that was it's
1: once you once I stopped to think about it, I was like, wow, that's really the perfect way to say that. But could I have done that in two hundred eighty characters? No, not a chance.
0: No, absolutely not. And just the uh, contrarian side of him is just so funny. Yes. He's like he's shouting at someone. <laughs> yeah. You don't know who it is, <laughs> but. <laughs> But you know it's someone. So,
1: I, I mean, I've thought a lot about smoothing data in the past, and so this is this is useful advice to me. Big fan.
0: All right, and then I uh, went the other direction. Um, Jody Avrigan, not as much of a modeler, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. uh, he responded to some random called Andre Iguadala, who was asking what makes a good podcast, and Jody said, preparation, chemistry, and most importantly, great editing. Good theme song doesn't hurt. I feel like this is basically the advice that we were following, and didn't didn't know it. It's funny that he said it in a tweet—not even 280 characters, yeah. right? Yeah. And when we were starting in season zero, I mean, there were blogs all over the place, and this is what we sort of—this is what we sort of came to. I think the only thing that I'd really add to this, because preparation—that's sort of our. <laughs> or preparation (laughs) chemistry i think sometimes people say there's a little bit too much chemistry because we have a lot of uh we have a a lot of side jokes that people aren't aren't privy to that we need to be careful about that um absolutely all right this
1: week on the pod we're introducing a new series visualization club so we'll get into the intro in the first half talk about what we're hoping to get out of this and what we're interested in learning and then in the second half, we'll talk a little bit about the specific routes that we each took this week as we were getting started on three-dimensional data and building a library. So here we go. We gave ourselves a new algorithm-style challenge, uh-huh. although I use that loosely, but we're calling this Visualization Club. We've been notoriously stingy with you know, sharing our plots, which derives primarily, I think, from our lack of production-quality stuff that we've had out there. Well, it
0: leads to our lack of production-quality stuff out there, most definitely. And I think that part of it is... um, I've heard this explained a lot of times before. Clean the data so you can get to a point where you can just play around with it. And then you're just playing around, and it's just like... You're like, okay, well, I can make this better. I can make this better. What about this? (laughs) What about can I, what looks like, what happens when I combine these vectors? What happens when I combine these factors? And you just don't save enough time because the data cleaning takes so much oh, time yeah. and the data playing is so interesting that you forget the data visualization. I think
1: that's right. I mean, I need to, I need to mentally change the amount of time that I allot for things because once I get the data to that clean stage, I feel like, oh, I'm pretty much done. And then I'll like put it away, put it down, like walk away for a while. And then like 10 minutes before the pod, be like, oh shit, I never actually plotted that. Like I need to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then that's where you run into. And that's where I think that we've gotten a lot better in the last couple of years. I specifically have matplotlib mm-hmm. and how to display this data and what um, general display tools are out there, which, geez, it's really hard when you taking so much time figuring out data cleaning and then you're like playing around with the data and like finally figured out this last little oh you needed to put a um, <laughs> you had that you had a data frame but you need a vector all these different things and then all of a sudden you're like you run into one block in map.lib and you're like done I'm out <laughs> not trying this yeah I. that's very true and
1: I think in addition to that once a week probably, I find a new feature in Matplotlib that I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about. I'm like, huh, that's Each really time. interesting. Yeah. Like, this thing that I actually would have liked to have done in the past. So, just, let's get a jumping off point, and then we'll talk about our goals here. Our our most production-ready figures were for our Sloan paper last year, our Sloan
0: submission last year. Yeah. What did you think of those? Yeah. I thought we ended up creating a really good style. Um and that we did one that displayed what we were talking about, mm-hmm. and we made a style that was kind of our own through, which was great because Michael kind of had his way okay. of doing things, and I kept on being like, wait, let's turn this on on his head. Let's Ender's game this. Let's not look at this in two dimensions. Let's look at it as three dimensions. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, gee. Oh, okay and it's like then why are you adding i brought in all these edward tuft yes thoughts that's exactly of, right. um of displaying like cut it down so that the ink space is maximized and limit how much other garbage is in your display that's exactly what i was gonna
1: say i feel like you just kept yelling tufty at me for like two weeks while we were workshopping these <laughs>
0: and you're like i don't i don't know that
1: curse is that german <laughs> is that <laughs> but it, i think it really worked and so you're right the concept of maximizing the ink space was really important and i think that that's a place that we should take visualization club over the next say month that we work on this but uh-huh. to me the the starting point is what i'm really hoping to get out of this is building a library of template plots that we can plug data Absolutely. into. So just like we did for Algorithm Club, where we wanted to build a template library of algorithms that we could shove data into when we found the right thing, I want to be able to look at a data set and say, oh, this is a really good way to visualize this. I have it right here, instead of spending the two hours that I have to every time to reinvent the wheel.
0: Absolutely. No, and that's the, the big thing, examples, templates. I mean, I was able to pull this so much faster. Because I had, um, you know, tried these examples in the past before, than you know the first time that I did them. So you just have to have the template so that it doesn't take so much time. So that you're not searching around the internet for um, <laughs> how to make a 3D plot.
1: <laughs> <sighs> yes. Okay. So I would say that a tangible goal for us is to end up with a. GitHub hosted repository of templates? Uh, <laughs> fine. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Why not? Are you thinking that's a bridge too far or you just don't want to
0: share our IP? You know, I it's not really about um sharing your IP. It's more about the um our our buddy Ann Bradstreet um put it really well. Um thou ill-formed offspring of my <laughs> feeble brain. <laughs> she talks about her literature as that and i kind of feel the same way about that code i don't think now we're going to get a ill formed offspring of my feeble brain
1: i don't know if we're <laughs> going to get better unless we start putting it out there
0: you're right no that's i it's it's in our um in our mission statement somewhere <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right so getting to some nitty gritty are there any algorithms that you're specifically interested in we talked a little bit about classes of problems and we'll list some of those in a minute but are there any specific tools that you want to look at i think that we need to make our histograms sexier man if there's one thing that's super underpowered in matplotlib it's histogram capabilities am i you're right i think if i if i yeah. had one major complaint about like the the algorithms it's histograms you're absolutely right I had not thought of that until you just said that.
0: Let's make them sexier. <laughs> what, what are you? Uh, what are you interested in?
1: I I'm interested in histograms too. I was thinking of it at a higher um a higher dimensionality. So I was thinking of how do we make
0: how do we make better
1: contours?
0: Ooh, good. Yeah, contours are great. Oh, I you've used them to pretty good effect. In the past, and that would be awesome to 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 bring back in. And I think if we really wanted to have um, the MLB GMs knocking at our door, I think um, more work on confidence intervals mm. would be
1: would be key. Interesting. Okay. Um, so, what about classes of problems? We we picked a class this week to just get our to get our feet wet and just just start on something, which was just we said let's go out there and plot some. Plot three dimensions of data. Do that however you want. Um, it's easy to imagine the next the next step, which is plot four dimensions of data. I think that's the next step. And then I think that we Ooh. should I think that we should branch out a little bit more and try and get away from the traditional axes. Try and make some visualizations that aren't X Y space necessarily.
0: Ooh, that's yeah, that's a really good point. We haven't done done a whole lot of that non linear. I'm curious to find out what other classes of
1: plots I've missed out on, and I plan on doing some delving into the Matplotlib documentation this week just to see what I missed. Talking about plot styles that we wish we knew more about resurfaced a memory from about 10
0: years ago for Eric. I think this was in the middle of college. Uh, I was talking about box and whisker plots, and you're like... Yeah, you know, I've never done them before, and I was like, what? <laughs>
1: it's true, I haven't. Somewhere in my elementary school curriculum, you were supposed to learn anything about box and whisker plots, and I just didn't, and then it was too late. I'm like, well, I'm never going to learn this. I think we're both going to have an argument about whether the thing that we chose is three dimensions, <laughs> so let's just get started on it. Let's find out. Um, I chose to check out an algorithm this week for three-dimensional data, which was I wanted to look at matplotlib's grid data in the okay. hopes that I would stop using point plots for everything because I feel like I'm throwing yep. information away when I use them.
0: Well, <laughs> the thing about points oh boy. can't even get through point one <laughs> No, you can't. Um, a um, dot density plot. I know. A dot density plot in geography is huge. It's exactly what um, a lot of people rail against, the red, blue political maps of who won, who lost, in like uh, um, presidential elections. It's because they really don't say that much. I mean, how many people are in Wyoming? The same number of people, even fewer than in Vermont. But, you know, there's a whole lot more red space in well, Wyoming. Wyoming than the
1: blue right. in for not to make ourselves seem like the only thing that we listen to or consume is 538 but the cartogram that mm. they're using for the house model is awesome, awesome.
0: Mm. okay yep that's all right
1: uh i i should say okay let me let me say awesome conceptually
0: <laughs> yeah. it's
1: super confusing yeah because people aren't familiar with it currently but the concept
0: is gets around what you just said Exactly. Oh. Well, why don't you get back into <laughs> yeah. the grid data? I'm sorry to, to jump in. I just think that I think points can be useful, but we haven't really um, maximized So it
1: actually, so you know, now I'm thinking about this, and I'm realizing that I actually kind of might have taken this problem the other way into a dimensional reduction problem where I, I yep. threw away information. I think that's what you did. All right, well, yeah. let me tell you what I did, and we'll see what we think. Grid data takes a cloud of points and makes a field out of them which is something that I want when I'm actually looking at 3D data. So you have X, Y, and Z for a set of points, and then grid data gives you X, Y, and a functional form for Z that you can plot so there's a continuous distribution instead of discrete points. This had immediate payoff to me. Great using those (laughs) This had immediate payoff for me, actually. I was able to turn my plots from PCA trying to distinguish different pitch classes into something that actually made physical sense to me. Yeah. And I'm realizing now that maybe that was just because I employed dimensional reduction. <laughs> All right. What I learned, though, by using grid data, and I have the plot side by side, the point density plots and the the grid data version, that's that's the contours, is that these pitches actually do have a characteristic shape, which is something that I couldn't... The pitch plots... That are, that are the PCA function 1 versus PCA function 2, if you listen back to podcast 2.24. Uh, there's actually there's a clear continuum here, and it shows me that uh, the fastball-style pitches and fastball-adjacent pitches are a clear continuum in this space. And off-speed pitches yep. are their own arm, and that's really clear when you're actually filling in the space and looking for these connections using grid data,
0: where it wasn't obvious to me before. Those melting points between the two—that's where things get really interesting, right? I mean, those yes. are the pitches, the the knuckle curves, the um, you know, the sliders. I mean, is a slider? What's a slider really? You know, where does it go from a fastball to?
1: No, that's that's a great um, point, and I, that's part of what I was hoping to do with the continuum—is see just what the wh- how they how the pitches ran into each other. And so I I did just do do a little bit of reordering to try and and do that. So I I'm definitely cheating the higher dimensionality here, but grid data, I think it's pretty inarguable that grid data is three dimensional mm-hmm. in in terms of its data plotting. And there I can imagine classes of problems where the dot density isn't important it's not important how many samples you drew yeah um and this 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 is kind of in that because it's i'm i'm less interested in the pitch breakdown of the pitchers and more interested in
0: describing them in a physical space true no i think that the i I think this was a good technique i would say this is three-dimensional though all right, so my um, my voyage, <laughs> I was going to originally do, you said 3D data, and I said, well, I love trying to plot X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. but I decided to turn it on its head a little bit. Um, I also went back to the PCA. I went back to the TGFBI um, League analysis, the playing style analysis, um, and decided that I wanted to plot um, league points as an x-axis, overall points, um, because the TGFBI, it's a series mm-hmm. of, of leagues. Um, so you have the points within your league and then you have the points if you're playing against everybody. Um, overall points is the, the y-axis. And then instead of having a z-axis, color code these by cluster. Okay, so hmm. first okay. off, would you say that that's three dimensions?
1: I would say that's absolutely three dimensions because okay. the dots, the, the dot density, again, is not that
0: interesting in this case. So <laughs> I've, I've marked that. You've, you've got these colored out. Um, i got these points colored out. And Mike, what I see is, you know, this isn't interesting or it's really interesting. Right, and the reason that you say that is because
1: this plot is not discriminatory.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's everything is on a very big, very good x y equals x trend. That means that how you do in your um, within your league directly correlates to how well you do in the overall. And then what we're seeing in terms of the colors is that. um the clustering, the um, the PCA analysis, and then the clustering on top of that picked out two really really distinct clusters: mm-hmm. shitty teams and good teams. And and you know what? I'm I'm not gonna name names <laughs> here on the on the shitty teams, but those are two clear clusters. And then everything in between in the other what is it, seven clusters. The other five clusters, wow, it's a bit of a cluster <laughs> truck with, um, with two of those clusters being like um, a little bit better and three of those clusters being far worse.
1: Yeah, it's right. That's exactly my takeaway. It's it's crazy how good some of the teams are doing and it's also crazy that how bad some of the teams are doing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then you have everything in between that, which does mean that um, if you take those two signs away, who's doing good, who's doing bad, um, and then you look at the middle, that is kind of interesting, right? Because that's how, yeah, how are these teams being constructed that are um, in the middle of the path? Yeah, we, we need to reject those outliers because the
1: good teams are not are, are not as interesting from a strategy point.
0: I mean, I think we've argued a lot that some of those are driven by luck. <laughs> right. Whoever grabbed Garrett Cole yeah. in the, you know, in 10th round, they've got such a huge head yeah. up. And whoever took the uh, risk of Acuna, you know, in the 20th right. round, you know, they're doing really well. All right. You're about ready to wrap this sucker up. I am.
1: And, man, week one of the NFL. And it did not disappoint. I sh- I should say I'm saying that as a Vikings fan. Did it disappoint as a Giants fan?
0: It was. Oh, we started <laughs> we started off right where we left off. Last yeah, that's exactly
1: what I thought. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, pretty interesting week in the NFL. That's you play the games. That's why you play the games. Yeah, and
1: uh, I mean, <laughs> we've talked about Jimmy G on this pod before, and it felt so good just to stomp him. That porn star loving fake. <laughs> oh, the highest paid QB in the NFL? Haha. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I'll take you down a notch. <laughs> and how did uh, how did uh, Mr. Vike this? Um, Kirk <sighs> Collins. You, you Vike this? <laughs> you Vike this? <laughs>
1: They're working on this. Um, you know, it. There's so much commentary out there that's saying like. That Cousins was is so clearly worth the upgrade, like the the pay upgrade from Keenum. Is he? I mean he I didn't he didn't mess up, but like was Case Keenum gonna be that much worse? I mean, I didn't see anything in that performance that I was like, oh, it is so good. We have Kirk Cousins. Like, there's no way that throw could have been made last year.
0: Right. I think it's a little bit more um the reliability. I mean, Kirk Cousins was able to quarterback a bad team to basically seven and nine every single year you, you, you could put that in the bank seven wins under Kirk cousins on a bad team in a funky division yeah whereas if you have a good team what does that mean well I think it'll be interesting to see what he does with
1: more time on the field because the Vikings defense is mm-hmm. so is a such a quality defense. That they should be just giving him more chances. So, I mean, if he can't make it work with more time on the field, then he's not the quarterback we thought he was.
0: No, Dalvin
1: Cook is he the running back that you thought he is? I don't want to talk about him. I'm scared. I like him so much. <laughs> yeah, okay,
0: that's that's fair. Well, you know, you could still have Jerk
1: to <laughs> Um, I thought just there was also this interesting Washington Post article last week. I don't know if you saw this, but I anyone who is thinking about learning a little bit more about the NFL from the nuts and bolts. I really liked these Uh and good for algorithm club or good for visualization club. Interesting graphic here. Interesting graphics where they have interactive graphics of the routes that they think define each team's offense. And so they move as you scroll through this and they try and explain it. So I would encourage people to go and go and take a look at this and, and critique it from the visualization standpoint. We'd
0: love to know what people think. I am a little disappointed that they don't have the um, the linemen <laughs> do because anything. It's 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 wrong yes. because you think I thought that the offensive line was a really really easy position, nope. and nope. then it is not. Um, I I tried to learn plays, and holy moly, um. Pulling guards and um, nose tackle, all these things that I just don't know. A gap, B gap. Yeah. It's all these things that are a lot more um, technically difficult than you would imagine. It's actually really easy to learn the like five different routes that a wide receiver is going to do because they're going to do every single play. That's right. Play. <laughs> That's right. But
1: this is sort of a tufty, right? In that, in yeah. that. Yeah. No, very much so if you want to actually distill it down to what people are going to see when they look at the play on the field, it's not how the O-line is moving because that takes so much skill to, to be able yeah. to discern
0: that by eye. It's how the receivers run. It's a definite resolution issue. I do like that they also have... Um, one of Tufti's big things is use black, use black, white, gray, and then he says use red. hmm um, but this has done it exactly the way that I would do it, which is that they use the team's yep. colors, which is, which is just so good. It is great. All right, I think that about brings us to the review session. The Empire Strikes Back. This Too soon?
1: This is a pod unto itself. Uh, w- okay, let me is. let me just give you one thing here, which is that I found this movie even more compelling now and saw it through a different
0: lens after seeing Solo. The same. Yeah, exactly. No, because this is the movie about Han Solo and Lando Calrissian. Yeah. This is the one movie that the Star Wars universe has done about Lando Calrissian and Han Solo together. No other movies have happened. <laughs> All right. Well, I thought I
1: I it actually made me enjoy Solo a little bit more. But mm-hmm. it's fun to have the backstory. I think I think that they they synergized well with each other, and that I actually enjoyed the Lando scenes even more now that I had that Solo was in here, which is hard to believe. We quote an unreal number of lines from this movie, lines that I forgot were in this movie because we've said them so many times. Most impressive, being my my chief one. There,
0: there are a lot. I I was telling the lady, I was like, you know, every time that I feel bad and say I feel terrible, <laughs> I'm just write that that scene from *Sole*. Yeah, that one goes there. That one goes there. I send that to my <laughs> um, colleagues all the time. It's
1: my, here's my my only hot take on this is you. You got us to watch this because we wanted to see the Hoth scene, but the Hoth scene is the most extraneous part of the entire movie. Sort of. It's the. I think that the Hoth scene. If I had to pick a spot to to needle this a little bit, that's the weakest spot of the movie.
0: Sort of. Well. No, it's. I think it's the most fun. Yeah, maybe now it's the. Uh, the weakest. Part. But it's pure spectacle. I mean, what do you what do you really need
1: it for? Are you saying that that's where you really need the Han and Leia and Luke triangle to develop yeah I think that (laughs) no I think yeah no I I see what you're saying I mean don't get me wrong some of the most iconic imaging from Star Wars comes from that those 20 minutes yeah but Ah. you could cut it and And it wouldn't wouldn't change and and the whole rest of the movie is more important like I mean, please don't. Like, please never make a version that don't. doesn't have hot. But I'm just saying.
0: Yeah, we're not even <laughs> going to get into that. All right, what are we doing this week?
1: I think we should do a Nolan compare and contrast. All right, Inception to
0: Dark Knight. The only comic book movie I'll allow. All right, I'm in. Okay, time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools Z. Thank you, Mild Manner, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mine is Z. All I've got left is worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you too.